0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. My name's Chris Badgett, and I'm joined by a special guest, Claire Fielder. She's the uh, creator of the PistachioClub.com. Go check that out, and go to the forward slash LMS. She's got some stuff for you there. Um, she is a, a member of the Divi community. Um, Claire has been working on a Divi Child theme for a lift LMS, maybe several of them. So go see what she's got going on. And she has a really interesting background that we're going to get into a lot of experience, corporate experience around sales, customer journeys, but she describes herself as a trolleyologist. What is a trolleyologist Claire? And welcome to the show.
1: Oh, hi I don't describe myself as that anymore. That's okay. kind of, you know I am a website designer. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I used to be a trolleyologist. So a trolleyologist mm-hmm. is basically somebody who used to analyse trolleys. So we used to say that in the terms of both online behaviour and also in store. So it comes sort of from a joke. It is a made-up word, as you can tell. But there used to be an advert over here in the UK for um, BT. And the joke was there was this well-known woman and this guy's phoning up his grandmother about you know having passing some exams, and she went, You've got an ology, you've got an ology, and she's just so excited. He failed all the other exams apart from this one ology, and it just was a little bit of a joke over here in the UK. So rather than saying, you know, I'm a you know, client director, I you know, very dull stuff, which doesn't create informational flow, and I say I'm a trolleologist, because when we think about conversations with people. It's really important to put those conversational hooks on for people to find out more about you. So yeah, it's just analysing shopping behaviour, doing branding, sales, marketing, pricing corridors for basically very big companies, you know, both in the UK, different regions around the globe and just helping them make far much more money in both online behaviors and also in
0: store. That's the really short answer. <laughs> that awesome. uh, one of the things that really piqued my interest and in why I wanted to get you on the show is uh, you joined the Lift LMS Expert Program, which is a group of people that we recommend that have experience with Lift LMS and have different specialties in terms of the website or marketing and whatnot. But your, um, I saw an example site you had that had sales pages with it. so. Course creators don't just want a nice, beautiful website, which you can do, but they also need sales and they would like to automate some of that process or at least have an intelligent flow of the customer journey. Can you tell us, take us to school on a customer journey and maybe give a lot of examples and what we're talking to course creators here. So what, if I'm teaching something, What do I need to know about a customer journey and how do sales funnels and pages work in that process?
1: Uh, That one question I could probably talk about four hours about. (laughs) (laughs) So when we think, you know, first of all, the first step is to kind of recognize that you've created this amazing thing. And for me, creating a course is such a powerful thing to do, especially nowadays when we look at our, society we don't have our elders we don't have those pieces of information being passed on to other people so when we think about online courses it really is about people helping other people to become better to learn something in particular or to take them on a full trans trans um sort of you know trans journey so when we're looking at you've created this amazing thing which is fabulous but to actually get people to buy it is a whole different step. And I think sometimes it's what course creators don't always think about because that journey to get to that point of creating it is so much effing work that you kind of feel exhausted. You know, I've created this thing. I want people to come and buy it. And they kind of miss that element of having the sales funnels. And funnel.
0: Can you speak to the part where some course creators. Yeah, I, I totally get that. I'm exhausted. I just made the course. And you know what, I'm, I'm actually kind of skeptical of sales and marketing. So that's just not for me. Like, what do you have to say to that person?
1: You know, and that's fine, if that's what you want to believe. But it's like making money in your bank account. Yeah, at the end of the day. Um, you know, no matter where we look at history, people are selling us things, the site selling us Ideologies—they're selling us, you know, buying some milk. They're telling us to, you know, get your fantastic new piece of technology. That people are always selling things, whether it's themselves or something they want to sell, um, you know, like a physical product. So, if you just build something, especially in today's technology, in today's world, who the hell's going to know about it? You know, if you build it and you've taken all that time and all that energy. And then nobody consumes that knowledge you have or that insight, and you can't help the people you want to help. You can't make the impact you want to make. And that kind of is quite sad for me that that kind of knowledge is wasted, because you can help so many people with it. So, and I say this for so many different things. Whatever word is creating a block for you, change that bloody word. You know, if you don't like sales and marketing, change it to, you know, helping people or change it to supporting people. Like, I hate the term um, tripwire. I hate it. I think it's a horrible terminology to use as part of the sales funnel. So I call, you know, in my head, I always switch it around and say it's an offer gate. What's, you
0: know, a, better, what's a better word for lead magnet? Geez.
1: It just is what it is. <laughs> okay. Do you know what I mean? I don't have uh, one. Yeah.
0: I was just curious. Because I have the Maybe same thing.
1: In the comments, you know, give us some ideas of something else to call it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> words, have, words have power and, you know, yeah. it's part. Of, it becomes part of your brand. So, like, yeah. you don't always – some people don't even call a course a course. They call it a challenge or a program, yeah. whatever.
1: And that's fine. And it's about owning what it means to you. So, wherever – You know, we can get onto many different levels about terminology and what it can mean and significance for people. But if you don't like a word and you're finding yourself yourself having that resistance to it, just change the word. It doesn't matter if it makes no sense to anybody else. It doesn't really matter what it. You know, words have power and meaning to us. That's what's really super important. Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, let's let's go back to the sales funnel. I'm looking at your, your Sage, um, child theme Is that ch- as a child theme? And I'm looking at, you have a ever under sales funnel. There's an evergreen sales funnel, a webinar sales funnel, and then a challenge sales funnel. So using those examples, like, what are we doing with those?
1: So it's really is depending on, and one thing I'm really passionate about is people understanding, and this comes from my background is understanding your proposition. So understanding, what do you have in your locker that you can offer people? So even if you've created a course that answers the full transformation of somebody, if you've got something that's 20% or 40%, can you create that into a small evergreen course? So always look about how can you repurpose and reuse different elements. So for example, evergreens are fantastic by definition. They're just on autopilot, so they really need little in input not saying they need no input because quite often they need some readjustments along the way but if you've got something that's quite steady it's common quite particular problem that you can solve for people then you know an evergreen course is really great for you because you're not having that cycle of putting loads of time of energy into having a launch every you know if it's every quarter or every year or once a year it's just creating steady cells for you but then you have things like uh you know video challenges or webinar series and that's great again because it allows you to dive maybe in the more expensive courses that you're offering or the programs you're offering we know how super important video is in today's society especially with the scroll feed (laughs) and you know that it is videos is an interrupter and also videos allow you to really come across as who you are I mean obviously some people can fake being on camera and all that sort of stuff but it allows people to see you know the whites of your eyes here's the tone of your voice and, you know and there's certain people out there I would love to learn from can't stand their bloody accents though mm-hmm. and it's just <laughs> for me and that's my personal thing it's like you are not the person for me and you're not going to be for everybody but as you know there's one way of giving somebody a little bit of value so if you can create a video series where you got like one three videos and each video which one of those videos is giving people a little piece of action then people can see what it really is to like to learn from you and implement that and then when you have things like you know the challenges you know especially on Facebook we love a five-day challenge <laughs> yeah I don't think there's a week when I'm not invited about 700 of them we love them but they are an amazing way but again, when you think about going down that particular sales funnel route, is thinking about the support you need. So if you've got the pop-up Facebook group, that just doesn't happen by itself. You need people to help you monitor the group, to, to feed it, to, to implement it well. It's not something that just happens off the back of a you know cigarette packet. You've got to plan that out. So it really is about identifying what particular offering you have what level of engagement do you want where does it fit into your overall spectrum of products that you're offering where does it filter there's so many different elements to think about
0: that's awesome well thank you thank you for sharing that and i want to kind of go over to your corporate background yes. um what's Holiday. what's what's uh like i i see a lot of value kind of trapped in corporate that doesn't always get down to small business or what I, or what's called a VSB, a very small business, which could be a solo operator course creator. What's a counterintuitive insight that, if you look at your experience in, with pricing and customer journeys and Charlieology and everything, and you look at the very small business course creator that like, ah, oh, I wish I could help this person if they just knew X. This is like a counterintuitive insight from my corporate experience. What's, Let's drop a bomb on some people of uh, that you that you've got.
1: I think is there is so much information that we have from corporate world that actually so many I see so many small businesses apply. Well, I think the key problem I find with small businesses is people not opening up enough to say, "I can't do everything, you know acknowledging you don't have to be the expert in everything. When you go from the corporate world into being a solopreneur, you forget that actually you are then in the IT team you know, that used to that a You are that person, you are finance, you are, you know, sales and marketing.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: you're everything. You know, um, you're always going to be employee of the month. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so you've got to take all that type of knowledge. And I think. I think quite often people don't, probably because of my background, I used to do quite a few roles and then get promoted really quickly. So that scale of going up and down and seeing something from a very helicopter view to a, such a granular level of implementation and getting people, on, you know, the soldiers on the on the ground to actually do the work that we needed them to do, comes very, very natural to me. And I think
0: so is you can go you can go big picture and then you can go into implementation mode but one without the other just makes no sense and that's how yeah, a lot well, of people operate
1: yeah it is because they've not had to challenge themselves and to develop that skill set so for me when I first started out in corporate, I had such an interesting um, experience I had a team where you know I was part involved in and we had so so much freedom; it was beautiful that we could just go and create products. And because our structure, our reporting structure, was slightly different, all those barriers just weren't there. And we had such a strong team environment where everybody supported one another. And like I said, like I, one particular, so wasn't used to work for Procter and Gamble as a consultant, um, and. I was speaking to a you know, particular team I always spoke to, and I was like, who are they over there? They just always sit down, who are they? Go and chat to them, find out about what their issues are. And I was kind of shocked that they didn't know some information. I thought, geez, if I was in your position, I would want to know that information. That would make my job easier. And so I created a product for them. I just kind of was like, well, they need to sort this out. So I created this product. A very big spreadsheet and um, kind of went to my boss and went, These people don't know this. They need to know this. This is how this is going to, they're going to know that. And this is going to affect all these other things. Can I just sell that to them? And it's like, Yeah, sure. How much are you going to sell it for? Well, how much do we need pay for our target? So like, this, uh, we'll just put that in, shall we? See if they go for it. And they did. So, you know, having that kind of um, freedom very early on, and I'm talking about like 20 years ago. Maybe 21 obviously. Um, to do that is remarkable. And then you create this product and it, it does well, and then it gets rolled out to the whole and PNG, and then you win, you know, a European award for innovation. You're like, yeah, all right then. Yeah, it took two seconds. It did, it takes far more than that. But you know, it's just that momentary thought, you need to help people. And I think, especially when you go from being in corporate to being a solo entrepreneur. Maybe you've now not had that freedom before and you've been in that box of confinement about rules and regulations and actually having the ability to just go and create and do something. It's overwhelming because you're not used to the processes and the thought processes of getting something created and out there.
0: Wow. That's, that's really good stuff. Um, one of the areas where I raise my hand, like I'm not an expert in pricing. I've done that for a long time ago and I've, gone to really smart people on pricing who don't just have ideas but i've seen execute solid pricing strategies and helped me like think about pricing differently mm-hmm. you threw through a term out just kind of here you go pricing corridors that piques my interest like what is she talking about um <laughs> so what uh, so i to frame the it's question
1: pricing corridor yeah you know, when we're all in our own worlds we always use to <laughs> that people
0: don't know. Maybe, maybe i already know what it is but i don't know but <laughs> The, the thing is, you, the course creator who's listening to this or watching LMS Cast on YouTube, uh, one of the top, the two, mo- the two questions I get the most are, number one, which theme should I use? And number two, and by the way, go check out Claire's theme, Child Theme for Divi. Um, but number two is, how much do I charge for my course, Chris? So I'm going to take that. Question I get asked literally on a daily basis and put yeah. it right there over to you, Claire.
1: Well, thank you very much. I <laughs> that wonderful yeah. present. So, there are a few things to think about when you think about pricing for a product. So, one is the internals of your business, but also the externals of the environment you're in. So, if we deal with the external stuff first and then we can talk about the internals. So, one is to think about what are the price bands or price corridors of similar products to you? So, what are you offering in your course that somebody's going to be very similar to? So, is it going to be between that 100 and 200? Is it going to be the 2000? Is it going to be the 10,000? Understand what is available in the market at the moment and just really look at the
0: competition. Like what are people already paying? Is that what you mean? Like, like what are people yeah, already paying for something similar to what I'm making or have made?
1: Yes. So yeah. there are, people are always going to do price comparisons, but within that research, within that knowledge that you gain that insight, then you can understand it's there, you know, we always talk about the blue ocean strategy, don't we, you know, where, yeah. where is the clear, clear water? Where's the clear sky about how are you different? So what's your uniqueness? So Is it the way you deliver it? Is it the the time frame of results you're getting? So understanding the value you offer the end customer and understanding, does that then put you in a different price point? Because it may well do. It may not. You know, that's, you know, part of being an entrepreneur is the part that where we have to be realistic and, you know, self-honest about things. You know, is it really groundbreaking or is it just, you know, being slightly different to somebody else, and that's absolutely fine, but it's just understanding where you're sitting within that framework of what's being offered for that solution. And the other point I'd probably go back to, and it comes back to the customer journey, is for creating more interest in your course or understanding more about the buyers of your course, is think about the journey that some of your customers are gonna go on. So for example, if you are selling a course that is aimed at, say, breastfeeding mums, then you are going to have the most simple, plain speaking language on their sales page you can possibly look at because they're probably looking at it at 3 in the morning, leery eyed and they just want, you've got this problem, I just want to sort it. And you want them to be able to buy really simply from you. But it's understanding the context of your marketplace, but also your consumers. So, what are their journeys? What's their triggers? You know, what's the parts of their psyche that will take them from, I'm slightly interested in this thing, or this is kind of a problem now and I want to fix it. You know, if you've got like a, you know, if you've had a bad night's sleep, you're not going to necessarily think, I'm going to have a mattress. I need a new mattress. You're not going to think that. But you might think, how do I sleep better? How do I, you know, How do I get a better nighttime routine? It's about putting all of that information into your blog post and all those different types of content you create to help people on that journey. So when it comes to pricing internally, you need to start thinking for yourself, how much is your time worth? But also what are the real costs? So for example, you need to know what your basic costs are for what you've created, you know, whether it's um, the time you put in, Whether it's different elements, you know, we've all got different technologies, et cetera, et cetera. Making sure you've factored all of that in, then understand what value do your customers see from that transformation? And what evidence do you have to support it? So when somebody comes to a website, they kind of have four different stages they tend to go through. So one is about the arrival. I have a problem. I come and see your website. Next is I want information. So what do you do? How are you different? Then they want evidence. So they want to know that thing that you did for somebody else, that course transformation you created for somebody else. How do you do that for me? And then they make the decision to buy. So when it comes to pricing, it is a very personal thing. And when, not, it sounds a bit peculiar, but when we talk about pricing as well, there is a difference between male pricing and female pricing.
0: So of this. Where are we going? Well, <laughs>
1: it's, again, this is all the internal stuff. Okay. So, for example, you often see, and generalisation here.
0: Okay. It'll leave
1: me in the comments. Generalisation. <laughs> um, so, if a guy says this is the price, that's a price. There's not a lot of other kind of thinking going on behind it. Yeah. But f- often, for a female, especially female entrepreneurs, saying this is the price, there is a whole raft of thought processes going on. Am I good enough? Who am I to say this price? What will they think of me if I say this price? And it goes on and on and on and on and on. You know, there's a very long list. So there is that part of owning your price. But what I see a lot, I think, within my online world is people thinking that, you know, yes, I'm owning my price. I'm going to say it's it's $500. It's £500. I feel really good about that. Actually, they're not backing up. With the delivery that they're offering, so they're not backing it up by the support systems. They're not backing it up by the quality of the videos. They're not backing it up in all the different ways that makes that course really actually equate to five hundred. I quid. think that's
0: I think that's a big problem in our industry. There's message mm-hmm. to market match, which okay, I sold the the expensive program, but there's also the on the back end, the product and the experience has to also match. It's got to be full yeah. the full flow.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. Um, A couple of days ago, I met up with one of my business girlfriends and we were just generally talking about business, but we came across a term I haven't used for years, but somebody being client ready, you Hmm. know? And for me, I guess coming from corporate, you just have a way of dealing with people. It's ingrained to you. I don't think I'm ever going to get rid of it. A way of dealing with people, a way of supporting with them, in a way that you just process them through the project or you know, you know, um, or the, the course that kind of just gives that air of authority, of knowledge, of being a safe pair of hands, and that's all you want from the whole course system. And you know, somebody who's done a hell of a lot of courses myself, you know, you can tell the difference to people who have just put up a course and it answers a problem and they don't really want to know anything else about it to the people that really kind of go the extra mile and want to put in the TLC and actually you can tell that you're being you know and it's fine to recognize that you have been part of the bigger sales funnel that's absolutely fine I love your stuff then yeah sell me more I don't care yeah. but um you know I think quite often people don't think about the experience for the students and that experience isn't just how we learn. And when we think about how we learn, I think it's like 67% of us are visual learners, but it's also the different ways that we communicate and learn. So you have people who are the big blue ocean thinking, the people who like to get down in the granular system. There's also so many layers when you think about the cultures of learning. So how we learn in the UK, historically is very different to how you learn in the US or in Canada. And then you think about how, we passed on information between different societies and, you know, I was recently looking at, uh, for some weird reason, don't ask me how I got into these videos, we're looking about coming of age, you know, coming of age ceremonies. and we don't have that many, there's as many of them, you know, in many cultures around the world, but the percentage of the population, i.e. the majority of the world, they don't have that anymore. So that information of, Elders isn't being passed on, and so that's super fascinating about how people then interact and learn, especially within our society. That you have an influencer who says, "Hey, this is how you're supposed to think, or this is what you're supposed to know about this." But there's no two-way conversation about understanding your thought processes about that thought uh, or about that knowledge, and to get more insight to you know to do whatever you want to do.
0: I have to find myself not to interrupt you because you keep dropping all this gold but I don't want to break the flow. So you mentioned some of my favorite words or concepts which is uh and I have actually a background in cultural anthropology. So coming of age, <laughs> yeah. rites of passage, elders and you know things that go on generationally and culture are some of my favorite topics and I think creating an experience product like you're talking about and, and like a company culture or brand, it's a real thing. And when you pair that with the idea that we have a lot of, we have an issue in our society where we have a lot of elders, but not a lot of elders. And we are missing the rites of passage that indigenous societies would have where people coming of age would go through some kind of experience. And it's not like they just take a test. There's like a, a test That's in
1: tribunal. Trials and tribulations.
0: So, like, actually thinking about that, I think that's a really good insight to look at some of those videos and be like, when we don't have technology and websites and courses and everything, how do we create? How has the human being, what elements are present without hurting people, which does happen sometimes? Uh, Like, where people go and they touch a grizzly bear, and I think it was the Navajo. I can't remember which. But, um, anyways. Uh, It's more than just content is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. And and then I think that's what a lot of people – and, you know, when you think about what you're doing yourself as a course creator, you're like, I've got this information. I want to share it. And the process of learning how to share it, how to structure a course, how to share information, you know, we can all tell jokes down the pub, absolutely any day of the week over a point. But actually getting up on stage and being a comedian, completely different. (laughs) completely different so you know that is part of you know creating a course and sharing information one to one when you're you know you're coaching people you're coaching your team or whatever you're doing and then actually coaching not you know coaching remotely maybe just through video and wanting people to have the same experience to a massive you know a massive audience you know there is different challenges in that and I think it's, you know, it's important to, and I think one of the key things as well, I would say, is that especially from that transition of being um, corporate into the solar entrepreneur world, is there's many things that you kind of have to make that decision about whether you want to make that step or not. But I think one of them, which I don't think many people talk about very often, is if you are a course creator, how are you, you know, reflected as yourself as a person How do you deal with the concept of being an icon or a guru or a leader? You know, do you have kindness in your heart to be able to realize people look up to you? Because that's a particular type of responsibility. And how you then communicate to people and help them on that journey is really, really important. And I don't think a lot of people talk about that at all.
0: uh, That is a a great insight. And I... Before building Lyfter LMS, I built sites for the expert industry. My agency did that. And we specialized in online course, membership site niche. And that's where the Lyfter LMS product came out of. But from then until now, I, back in my agency days, I started noticing where uh, these experts, and some of them already very successful with you know live events and all these other things, and they're adding courses to the mix. There's this inevitable like stall out that happens right before a launch and I used to not believe it when people said that there's fear of success like I understand fear of failure and fear of success but what you're talking about like are you ready to be a guru are you ready to be and not that everybody's going to be as big as Tony Robbins or as big. yeah
1: and it's not being egotistical it's just people looking up to you that's the word you want to use fine
0: It's a real thing. It's a real thing. And I think some of it's subconscious. People are scared. They're like, they're just like, I'm going on the record. I'm going on stage. And yes, I don't want to fail publicly or whatever, fear of failure. But this fear of success thing is real.
1: Absolutely. But there's many layers to the fear of success. I think what I'm talking about is, do you have that personality within yourself to do that, to be somebody who has somebody to look up to them? And to behave in a particular way that is congruent to your morals and who you are in helping people to get to where they want to be. You know, are you going to be swayed by the late, you know, latest trend and you know, move your compass point to, to something that you're not comfortable with? Um, and the, you know, the thing is, whenever you speak publicly, wherever you are putting yourself out there. You, or people, you are affecting far more people than you will ever know. You know, um, especially in British society, we're not very good at telling people, like, oh, love that video, or, you know, that was really inspiring. You know, we just don't do that over here. It's not the dumb thing. And it will never change. Um, but, you know, when you are talking, when you are sharing information, you are affecting other people's lives and, or their thought processes. And it can be, you know, an important thing to do, but you're never gonna know about that. So when you are in that space of putting yourself out there, yes, you're dealing with a lot of internal barriers and going, I don't really want to put myself out there being visible is horrible. Why am I doing this? But it's also about the responsibility, if you are visible, what are you sharing with other people and how are you helping them properly? I'd say. I love that. I love
0: that. I think I think like having Value, you know your values and your ethics like this, this is stuff people should think consciously about and have it be a north star or a compass as to what because there's a big problem in our industry in the online course and the lms industry of um just uh over like overselling and and not delivering the value or whatever like you have to you have to have your ethics and some people even make the argument going back to our earlier point about I'm not really into sales or marketing. Some people make the argument that if you believe in your product and you can transform somebody's life in a positive way, you have a like a moral and ethical obligation to sell. I mean, some people make that argument, which is... If- and
1: that's fine if it, do you know what, at the end of the day, if it's not hurting anybody and it helps them to get over that barrier, knock yourself out. Do you know what I mean? It really doesn't, if it helps change your mindset to be able to put yourself in that position, You know, we hear stories all the time and pieces of advice all the time and we can hear it 20 times and we're just not ready to hear it. We hear it, but not really hear it. And then suddenly somebody will say this wonderful sage piece of advice and you're like, I've never heard that before. And then you go and take action because that is the point where you're ready to go and do that. So, yeah, it's... People do have a lot of blocks because you are being visible, you are sharing your, you know, your your business baby, your creation baby with the world, and that's not always an easy thing to do. Um, you know, if you look at a lot of artists, whether you know the musicians or writers, you know, expressing what they express and putting that out in the world, or you know, if you're an actor and, and people criticizing that, it's not always a great place to be. So I can understand why people do and sales and marketing is basically putting yourself out there and that's not always easy to do but it's good to recognize that i think
0: yeah that's that's fantastic how do people in the uk versus say the united states uh I, I either buy differently or, or behave differently or, or respond differently to marketing or whatever
1: so yeah there's um, <laughs> yes there's probably quite a few ways um so from like my corporate knowledge. So how we buy within supermarkets and all that sort of stuff. So over in the US, you can have uh, more extreme versions of couponing and discounting. Your supermarkets are set up in a very different way. And you don't have the breadth and depth of data that we do in the UK. We just, unfortunately, we are like 20 years ahead of you in that respect. But because we're a smaller country, then elements of logistics are are slightly different as well. And so there's that element to think about it. But also as well, I think, um, I I don't know if I can swear, but, um, (laughs) you know, like in the UK, I think we have quite a high BS factor and radar. And, you know, if somebody is coming across as a bit of an authentic so-and-so, we kind of notice quite quickly. And I think rather than being jollied along as it appears so in the U.S., <laughs> yeah. um, we don't always kind of get on the bandwagon. Like, we tend to, you know, enjoy a bit more banter.
0: Uh, so Brits have a higher BS meter, or a better BS meter. Is that what you're saying? I think?
1: kind of think so. Or, okay. Or, yeah. I kind of think <laughs> we <laughs> <laughs> yeah. more skeptical,
0: more skeptical too.
1: Like, maybe, yes. And, um And it's also what is of value to us is going to be slightly different. So it's not necessarily just if you're British or if you're, you know, if you're from North America, it's, it's, there are, you know, so many cultures over here, you know, we are, you know, a complete fruit salad in that way. You know, we, you know, treasure, you know, the strawberry for being the strawberry and, you know, the orange for being the orange, you know, it's not a melting pot. There's so many different parts of our society and we just love all those different cultures, but, Also, the way that we're educated, which historically, but now it's kind of changing somewhat, is we love a speaker's corner. We love a debate. We love to hear open discussion about around a topic. So, when we learn, we tend to ask far more questions than our US counterparts on general. And I'm sure people will tell me otherwise in the comments, and that's absolutely fine. But we love to talk around a subject, and we're not afraid to do so. But also, on the whole, quite respectful of people having different opinions. Um, but I, I think if you look at our government at the moment, maybe not. Um, but so how we learn is very different. And I think in when you take a US-based course, it's very much this way or the highway. It's very formulaic in the way that you're learning. And there's no side routes. So if you don't like learning that way, if you don't like that methodology, there's nothing else to kind of, help you along that journey and I think in the UK we tend to kind of talk around a subject and tend to give a few more different offerings along the way to help people along that learning journey I think but again I could be wrong people are probably going to say no that's not But when we come to buying as well I think there is that sense of I, I guess you know when you look at like you know the, like the virtual assistant market okay I think it's just so different in the uk people are like oh, i'm not paying for that or mm, I'm not too sure it's like somebody's you know paying somebody 30 pounds to do something for you for an hour which is going to take you five like they don't see the price value in that but i think over in the us people are like yeah hell just hire it out Do you know <laughs> <me?"
0: laughs> yeah yeah so
1: i think there's that part of like that kind of spend with that kind of you know old kind of thinking of not wanting to spend money on things because they don't see the value and that's partly because the UK is behind the US in that kind of terms of thinking of entrepreneurship and you know and all that great stuff that you guys do over there and then we learn from you and go would couldn't wouldn't quite do it that way and that would work better over here you know we're probably five ten years behind you and that's in that some that thinking but the idea of Hiring somebody else to help you out is very different. So when we come to pricing as well, and so there's a difference in how we view visually pricing. So when we view pricing, uh, you need to think about um, how do your audience read as well? So are they left to right or right to left? And so how you lay out pages and information and different colours that you use, which change all the time, but different colours you can use to help people visually make emotional connection, but also a visual connection that they need to take action is quite different as well. I think I've gone off topic there slightly. Sorry.
0: No, that was that was fantastic. Um, you've already given a lot of tips around this topic, but let me set it up. Um, course creators, whether they're doing an evergreen course or like a more pa- passive course, um, one of the things I teach as a model, I just call it course plus, where people need more than content to be successful. So what are you going to add to your course? Is there going to be Group coaching or maybe a private coaching upsell that's really high-end and expensive, or mastermind or social learning communities, or whatever. Um, other products, retreats. software. Yeah. What?
1: Or retreats. Everybody loves a retreat nowadays, don't they?
0: Yeah, retreats. Um, so what advice like for somebody who who's like, I want to do premium pricing. Hmm. You've mentioned like be very careful and make sure you deliver the value. Um Uh, but also like if somebody, let's say they have that course, it's valued at let's say 500 bucks. You mentioned that price point earlier and they want to have like a $5,000 private coaching upsell. What do they need to do to sell that and to conceptualize the package?
1: Mm. So that comes back to the points I was making earlier about you have your product range, your product offering and understanding where everything sits within that. So overall, You know, for the logical point of view, you're thinking through what are the problems I'm solving for my client and listing all the different types of pain points they have and how you're taking them on that journey. And then how do you package it up there and which of those elements have features and what are the benefits? So it's understanding that all the way through. And obviously, you can do the little drops in of, you know, this is only going to do this part for you and to get more. But it's also, by over-delivering in a proper, authentic way, not just over-delivering by saying, giving somebody some, you know, some free call scripts or whatever, but, but actually truly over-delivering value and people seeing that. then those calls really aren't that difficult because people already know, they self have self-awareness and self-analysis that actually, if I'm ready to go to this level, that's what I need to do. You know, I don't know how to do that. Let me learn from somebody else. And it's really about, you know, the way that you invite people into your world. And we're all going to have different fans and, you know, even in our friendship groups, you know, you're known as this type of person or that type of person. And people love you for these types of reasons. And just, you know, kind of be open and honest and go, I'm not for everybody. And to transition people from point A to point B, if that's that 5,000, it's not always about, you um, you and your ability to sell. is maybe they're just not ready yet, and I'm, I have to say I'm not a fan of the, the BS like you know, put it on the credit card, you know, and those really kind of nasty selling techniques. I'm not a fan of those at all. Generally, if people can't afford it, they can't afford it, you know. So if that is the case, if you're getting that answer so many times, that what can you sell at, you know, two, you know, two thousand and ninety nine dollars, you know, three thousand pound mark is a halfway point. Product that you can offer to help them to get a little bit more down to that journey where they need to get to. Um, but I think it's about people really knowing they can trust you and being really consistent in what you're saying. So it goes back to the values of, you know, knowing who you are and, and what you're about. But if you're somebody who's always changing your mind about something or offering a course on this this week and then this, that, you know, something else next week, then people aren't going to be thinking, oh, she really knows what she's talking about. Or they're, you know, I can see them as the expert. I can see the journey that they're going on because people are always going to be looking at you. And they're always going to be looking at your journey as well and what they can learn from it. So I think it's really important about knowing what you value, you know, what you're offering to your potential new client for your $5,000. But it's also about what is of value, you know, don't just copy everybody else. Well, I'll just you know shove this thing onto you know onto the sales page because everybody has this. Right? If people actually find it of value? No, stop it. You know, <laughs> give them something that is really going to be of value. It's a bit like when you go get those gift bags from the conferences you go to. You go, know? I don't need another bloody hearing. I've got enough. It doesn't mean anything. You know. So what are you going to offer that is really of value to them?
0: I'd say. As a small rabbit hole, my thing when I go to conferences, I need to come back with stuff for my kids. So like if they have if they're giving away like somebody gave away a unicorn stuffed animal thing, I'm like, yep, that's well, good swag. Yeah. Um <laughs> I love your point about uh follow through, focus, and commitment. Mm-hmm. Like that's to me, that seems like it's becoming um an endangered species. And when people see that, and it doesn't it's not even necessarily a conscious thought, like Yeah, you know, Chris has been here talking for about courses for years, uh, and been working in the industry for almost a decade. Like Mm. that, that sends a message just by the fact that you focused and you follow through and you committed. And if you're like you said, if you change your avatar or your who you serve, Mm. what you do, and how you do it, if you change all that too much, it's it uh it creates a dissonance with that. But also, I
1: think people in the scrolling age. You know, we've got so many more friends to try and remember what they do. Yeah. If, you know, one year they're a coach and next year, I don't know, they're a whatever. Then you're not going to recommend them as well. So that right. element of word of mouth by being consistent, you know, by having a great five day challenge or a video series, people talk about it because you've shown them in that you know, small amount of time, a transition of what different way of thinking. And they're like, I'm going to share this with my friends. So you're really missing out on a really valuable uh, piece of marketing, the old fashioned word of mouth.
0: Yeah. I, know it's is... <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a surprise question for you, which uh, it's just something I've observed about corporate people is sometimes they're really good at like frameworks, like, you know, Venn, Venn diagrams or like doing a matrix and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if you're a a framework person or not, but I do see those as being very powerful when you're teaching, like in a course or something like that. Can you, uh, I hope I'm not springing on you, but can you talk to me about frameworks or talk to the course creators out there about what's one they should use or your experience and some tips?
1: Yeah. So as I said, um, Lots like of
0: I just want to say your pricing corridor thing was kind of a framework and I could draw that out. Like yeah. I, mean, I, could, I could diagram what you described to me. So.
1: And, and that's the point is most of us are visual learners. We bloody love a diagram. I mean, who doesn't? Um, I don't know if you have the book over there, but there's a, uh, an amazing book called information is beautiful.
0: Oh, I'll put that and on my list. Yeah.
1: For somebody like me um, is kind of infographic porn. I tell okay. you, it's beautiful okay. and it allows you to digest information. So when we're thinking about, you know, thinking about a sales funnel or a course creation or anything you're doing in your business, usually you're going from point A to point B and you can go the zigzaggy route and you know, whatever, absolutely. But when you're responsible for other people and they're learning and they're taking on board of information You need to structure it from A to B to C to D, et cetera. You need to structure it in small steps so they don't get lost, they don't get fearful, and you don't lose them. And, you know, obviously you get all the, the refunds and et cetera. But I think also from the corporate perspective, yes, we love structure because when you're dealing with that mass of people, you need structure to do that, and you need systems in place so people know what their boundaries are and, you know, if you want to break a rule, which is absolutely fine in my book, um, then you need to know that you're doing that. Do you know what I mean? I think often mm-hmm. with my previous corporate experience where, you know, I could just go and create stuff and then you can't. It's like, why can't I just do that? But it's also when you're, you know, managing teams, then you're managing those individuals and you would learn such a unique skill. It's, you know, I don't have kids myself, but I assume it's like kids that you treat everybody the same but differently. You know, you want them to get to the same point. But, you know, one person, if you praise them in front of the whole group of, you know, of your team, they'll just hate you for it. They'll be like, why the hell did you do that? I'm never speaking to you again. But other people will relish in it. But it's about understanding, Okay, so if it's important for them to get recognition, how do I, what's the best approach to do that? And I think within the framework of creating a course is what are the macro action points, what's the macro takeaways I can get people so they can see their progress as well. I think especially over long courses, you can think, I haven't learned anything, you know, like, I'm still where I was, but you've changed so much, but you just don't recognize it. And I think, personally, and I'm sure you may disagree on this, um, but having a really key structure is really important, but also having mindset at the front of a course as well is super important, especially if you're changing attitudes, especially if you're trying to get people to really take a leap of faith in certain circumstances. And I, so I think having really good mindset section at the beginning just allows people to understand these are the boundaries of where, I, you know, where we're going and you might feel uncomfortable, and you might resist this change. And that's absolutely fine. But you allow them to self-monitor themselves about what they're struggling with and where they need help, which helps them reach out to you and get better resources and, and, and you know improve the course in a different way as well.
0: Wow, that was great. Claire Fielder, you can find her at thepistachioclub.com forward slash LMS. She's also in the Lifter LMS Experts Program. Go check her out. Is there any final words for the people, and also anywhere else they can connect with you?
1: They can connect with me anywhere. I'm tend to be quite friendly, um, mainly on Facebook. So uh, my business page is Clairfield of the Pistachio Club. Um, they go on Insta. I'm not always on Insta. I have to say though, um, yeah, there's so many things to say, but I think I think we you know when we were talking about before. You know, the question you get asked so many times is. People want to create something and they're in that corporate role. And how do they make that transition? So I think, you know, really important to understand your self-motivation. So, you know, do you start a diet and then stop it? (laughs) Because, you know, if you're starting a business, starting a course, that element of keeping that motivation going is really important. But I also think it's really important to do self-reflection and know your own self-reliance on yourself. And if you'll be able to complete the, the project or the job at hand as well. So, yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, Claire, thank you so much. We'll have to do this again sometime.
1: <laughs> Got so much more to talk about.
0: <laughs> and that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I hope you enjoyed the show. This show was brought to you by Lifter LMS, the number one tool for creating, selling, and protecting engaging online courses to help you get more revenue, freedom, and impact in your life. Head on over to lifterlms.com and get the best gear for your course creator journey. Let's build the most engaging results getting courses on the internet.